according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, somebody just try to get in that door right there. Thank you, Doug. All right. Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to hedge us about. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for truth. And Father, we do ask for your hand of protection upon us and this property and the vagrants and other folks that wander through and want what they want. But Father, uh, we don't have what they want. We have your truth, eternal truth and treasure for all eternity. And I pray for those who desire what you are providing, Father, that uh, brothers and sisters would be humble to receive the word implanted. Father, uh, open the eyes of our understanding, teach us and protect us. Father, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. What is this, our third class, fourth class? Third class. All right. We are working our way through the introduction and working on point one, point two. The Bible's testimony as to Solomon's wisdom and literary production. Solomon was preeminent above any foreign rivals. Went through that. Point three, wisdom literature as a well-attested genre in the history of the ancient Near East. And I know I did a lot of reading and, and a lot of boring material and aspects on that. Um, simply understand, though, that it's vital to understand these things because there are critics, there are uh, really the theological liberals out there that are just out of their ever-loving minds, but they, they control denominations and seminaries and, and thought uh, in, in really a tragic way. Um, and it, it's, it's pathetic that it's so easily to prove them wrong, and that doesn't seem to matter. Even though they're proven wrong, they still hold to a, a JEDP hypothesis, for example. They, they deny that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. They deny, I mean, it's just insane, all right? And yet it, it, it controls so much of, of Christendom. Even evangelical Christendom buys into the garbage of, uh, of the theological liberalism. So um, I think it's valuable to read the, the comparative literature to show that in Solomon's day and for a thousand years, for two thousand years prior to Solomon, this kind of literature was known in that part of the world. And the idea that the Jews were somehow ignorant of all that or illiterate or uh, morons, you know, that didn't even know how to write until they came back from Babylon is, is ludicrous, absolutely insane. And uh, particularly when we understand the political dynamics between uh, Israel and Egypt, Israel and Sheba, Israel and these other regions, you understand, all right? So to study these things, I think there is a place for it. And uh, to ignore it, to minimize it is a problem. Uh, or you can also, the pendulum can swing the other direction. You can overemphasize it to the point that you create a hyperemphasis on the secular parallels, and, and that becomes a problem as well. So anyway, last week, I, I know I spent a lot of time on it last week, and I hope that uh, you embraced what you embraced and accepted what you accepted and, and uh, that it, the whole thing was, was profitable and not a big waste of time. Likewise with Kenneth Kitchen and his analysis, I thought that there was a very much a value in that as well. I know Dan wanted a copy of that, other folks wanted a copy of that. I think it's useful to see the different types of Proverbs, and the type A and the type B, and the, the different uh, 
structure that proverb that different uh, proverbs can be placed into. Anyway, I'm not going to go back and repeat all of that. The outline of the book, this is my outline, and uh, what we're going to use moving forward, we're basically going to break it down into four parts. Uh, we're going to handle chapters 1 through 9 as a unit. I call that parental wisdom. All right. In fact, if you join me in Proverbs chapter 1, you'll see a lot of this, chapter by chapter. The first nine chapters, what I call parental wisdom, because so often in these chapters you have the father and the mother that are mentioned and the exhortation to the son uh, to listen to what it is that the father and mother have to say. And, uh, for example, in verse 8, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. And this is going to be it's a concept that you're going to find repeated again and again and again throughout these nine chapters. Why? Just because we're your parents and, and you have to? Or uh, because, uh, because God has structured it in this way. God has designed the family to be the venue in which his wisdom is inculcated in the youngest of ages. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath, that's verse 9, a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. And the word of God is going to save you. There are going to be days that your parents aren't going to be around. But the word of God will always be with you if you've taken it in and you've received it. And it's there. And so you're going to find this throughout these, uh, throughout these early chapters. And in fact, you start to reach uh, places where the Word of God will embrace you. You can embrace the Word of God. A young man reaches a certain age, and uh, he's starting to think in terms of his own adult status and his own uh, capacity to depart from father and mother and cleave to a woman, and uh, starts to approach the age of marriage and so forth. And so Proverbs uses this very language, uses the language of embracing, right? So that you're embracing the right kind of woman and not the wrong kind of woman, all right? And, and, and it does. It plays it out there in terms of the harlot, the strange woman versus the Word of God and how you embrace her. And then your own wife and how you embrace her and the, the divine provision there. So these, these first nine chapters are uh, highly fruitful in that capacity. So I simply title that parental wisdom. Then chapters 10 through 24, personal and public wisdom, what I've titled Personal and Public Wisdom. And I think it's useful for how we operate personally and how we operate publicly, how we interact with one another in our community, how we interact in the world around us. The Proverbs of Solomon. And it still includes family expectations. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. There still is a family component that will happen in these chapters, in chapters 10 through 24, but it is added to. You add to the family component with a personal and public expectation. Uh, Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteous, righteousness delivers from death. And we start to see, this is from Proverbs 10 uh, and verse 1, verse 2, we start to see that a, uh, a believer who lives his life according to the Proverbs is going to have the principles for how to conduct himself on a daily basis, principles for whatever he does, whatever his occupation, whatever wherever he lives, anything in his personal life, in his public life, is that going to be a reflection of the glory of God. All right, so we have personal and public wisdom in verses 10 through to, in chapters 10 through 24. So if you live your life according to these Proverbs, then in your community you are going to be a model of Christ, a model of the Word of God, a model of His wisdom. Then in uh, chapters 25 through 29, what I've titled Accumulated Wisdom. 
accumulated wisdom. And why is this? Well, these are the Proverbs that you didn't identify right away. This is the material that wasn't included with the earlier material. Proverbs 25.1 says, These also are the Proverbs of Solomon. Well, okay. Why didn't Solomon include it in the first 24 chapters? <laughs> Why then does it say, These also are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed? That's 200 years after Solomon. All right? This is, in, this is about 700 or so, 700 B.C. Well, why did it take so long for these Proverbs to be added? We know they were written earlier. We know that Solomon wrote thousands and thousands of Proverbs that aren't even in the Bible. So why were these ones then added to the earlier ones? And I call this accumulated wisdom because the nature of the Word of God is such that we don't learn it all immediately. We don't learn it all on day one, all right? We learn and then we accumulate and we learn and we accumulate. And then there are some things you cannot learn until you have learned other things prior, all right? There's other things you cannot learn until you're under certain degrees of testing, see? Uh, Luke and Sarah, for example, are about to learn some parental issues, <laughs> all right? Because, I mean, they've been parents for nine months, but now they're uh, parents with a child that is breathing air, all right? And given uh, her birth into, into the world last night. So, uh, so you, you get tested in different realms you've never been tested in before, you know, the married man is being tested in things he wasn't tested in as a single man. Now parents are being tested in things they weren't tested in before children. And on it goes. Once you reach uh, the status where you have adult children, then you really learn how to pray. Okay? And uh, different things there. So I call this accumulated wisdom. And it's added to the wisdom that had come before. And uh, so we can appreciate that as well. And then the additional wisdom in 30 and 31. The additional wisdom. Don't uh, be so arrogant as to assume that you cannot receive additional wisdom from maybe surprising sources. Maybe different places you say, well, I'll listen to Solomon's wisdom, but who is Augur, the son of Jaca the oracle? Never heard of him. Okay, well, in Proverbs 30 and verse 1, he's the... Uh, cited as the source of this chapter. The words of Augur, the son of Jaca, the oracle. A man declared, the man declares to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Ukul. Well, who are they? Okay. And uh, the reality is we don't know. This is, you know, in, in the years gone by, we, uh, history doesn't record who these people are. The Bible doesn't record who these people are. Um, but at the time that the scriptures were written, the, the Hebrews knew who they were, and they accepted it as a part of their canon. Anyway, the additional wisdom that comes in Proverbs 30, and the additional Proverbs that are the wisdom that comes in Proverbs 31, the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. All right, thank God for our mothers, right? <laughs> and so we have the additional wisdom. Where does this come from? Well, it comes from Lemuel. Actually, it comes from his mother. And thank the Lord that uh, his mother taught him. So, there's our outline of the book. And we're going to break it down into those parts and uh, probably structure the website that way as well where we can uh, place the MP3 files into those different sections. Chapters 1 through 9, parental wisdom. Chapters 10 through 24, personal and public wisdom. Chapters 25 through 29, accumulated wisdom. And chapters 30 and 31, additional wisdom. You say, well, now how long is this going to take? <laughs> is this, uh, is this uh, series going to last 10 years, like the Life of Christ series? I really have no idea. Maybe we'll be done in a year. Maybe we'll be done in two years. I don't, I don't know. 
I'm, uh, I'm really approaching this on a trembling basis because this is my first attempt to teach a wisdom book on a verse-by-verse basis, all right? And we're going to see how that works. New Testament quotations and allusions, and here's where we ran out of time last week. Uh, looking at all the different places in which the book of Proverbs is used in the New Testament, if you'll recall, and I'll make this full screen here, pop it out and then maximize it. And we looked at several of these already, got through Proverbs 1, Proverbs 2, Proverbs 3, Remember, look at that one from Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And, of course, this gets quoted in the book of Hebrews. And the use of this, as the author of Hebrews brings it into Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6. The author of Hebrews warns his audience, You have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. You should be thankful for the discipline of the Lord. Thank God that he loves us enough to discipline us, that he loves us enough to uh, correct us, to shape us, to get us on the right track when we're going wrong. Nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges. There you go. He scourges uh, every son whom he receives. I think the language is stronger in Hebrews and I think it's a Septuagint translation that reflects that stronger language. Of course, remember now the Holy Spirit wrote both. Old Testament and New Testament, so we can accept the uh, stronger terms as the Old Testament gets quoted. But thank God for our church discipline, I mean for our personal discipline from uh, God the Father himself. Likewise in Revelation 3, those whom I love I reprove and discipline, therefore be zealous and repent. That's talking to the pastor of the church in Revelation chapter 3. Anyway, we get into Proverbs 4 and the citation in Hebrews 12. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Now some of these are not exact quotations. Some of them are what we call allusions. A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N-S. Allusions. Okay? Don't confuse allusions with illusions. Um, that's something different. If it starts with an I, then it's a magic trick. right? It's an illusion. It's something you, you, your eyes are tricking you. Okay? An optical illusion. Okay, but an allusion, A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N, that is something where you are referencing back, at least in a concept, in a thought, in a, in a, in a remembrance. Sometimes it's just an echo of a concept, not a direct quotation. Um, in any event, Proverbs 8, the wisdom here. Uh, it says, uh, this is with the wisdom of God in, Pro- in Proverbs eight fifteen. By me kings reign and rulers decree justice. A concept that's brought into the New Testament, the fact that Every king, every authority on this earth, God has sovereign control. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. God is in control of human history. And the leaders you have, you may not like them, but you're commanded to submit to them. And if you have, God has given you a leader, a president, a governor, a mayor, a a neighborhood association president, all right, The authorities that exist, God has control. And he has placed you where he has placed you. He wants you to submit to him. 
Anyway, if you want more on that, we taught Romans 13 last, uh, oh, September, October time frame. And those MP3s are on the website. Proverbs 8.22, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way before His works of old. We're going to talk about the birth of the humanity of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about when God the Son received His human nature. When God the Son received what we think of as the human spirit. Okay, Remember, mankind is body, soul, and spirit. You're not just your body. You have an inner man as well as your outer man. Okay? The body is the obvious thing because that's visible what we can all see here on this earth. But the soul spirit, the inner man, that's how we interface with God. It's the, the spiritual connection with God the Holy Spirit. When did Jesus Christ receive his human spirit? Proverbs 8 tells us this. And I can't wait to get into this realm of teaching when we just describe this. And it took place, Proverbs 8 tells us when. At the beginning of his way, before his works of old. It's actually the alpha moment of time. As it says in Colossians 1.15, he's, he's the firstborn of all creation. As it says in Revelation 3, the amen, the faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God says this. Jesus Christ is the beginning of the creation of God in terms of his hypostatic union. His hypostatic union. If, if that's not clear, then... Just relax, we're going to teach it comprehensively when we get to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 10, he who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. (laughs) Just a word of warning, all right? Um, As we learn Proverbs, um, we're going to be studying the Word of God on a biblical basis, in which case there is such a thing as perversion, all right? There is such a thing as a pervert, okay? Uh, The world we live in, rejects that. The world we live in redefines terms, in which case the things that God says are a perversion, the world says, oh no, no, celebrate that, accept that. Uh, that's, that's normal, that's acceptable. And the, the, the normalization of perversion is one of the hallmarks of, of our current generation, of our culture. All right. So just be aware, as we teach Proverbs, you're going to encounter this time and time again. And we're going to have to train up our children to either operate their lives on a biblical norm and standard or be conformed to this world. Romans 12 gives them no other option but be conformed to this world or be transformed by the living and abiding Word of God. In any event, here's Paul doing battle with... uh, Do you remember who he's doing battle with in Acts 13.10? We saw it on Sunday. With Elymas, the magician. You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? God's ways are straight. The world confuses things. Anyway, there's more. Um, Proverbs 10, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Look where that gets quoted. 1 Corinthians 13, James 5, 1 Peter 4. The value that love has. See, I think we lose sight of so much stuff because we're church-age saints with the New Testament. We're church-age saints and we know the reality of the New Testament, the reality of our position in the Bride of Christ. Maybe we're not as familiar with much of what was, was just as valid and just as applicable in the Old Testament economy. Israel had to have love applications. All right, they, didn't, they, didn't, they weren't united into the person of Christ by baptism of the Holy Spirit, but they were still expected to walk in love. They were still expected to love the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They were still expected to love their neighbor as themselves. They had love imperatives. It just wasn't as universal as our love imperative where we uh, love one another as Christ has loved us. See, 
gets intensified. That's why in 1 John he says it's, it's a new commandment, but really it's not a new commandment. <laughs> okay? Depends on how you look at it. Proverbs 11, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, yet it results only in want. The echo of this in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. You will reap what you sow. Proverbs is going to make that very clear. If you align your, your life with the wisdom of God's word, you're going to reap that because that's what you've sown. All right. Proverbs 11 in 1 Peter 4, Proverbs 15 in John 9. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Reflection of that in John 9. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Okay, I think we could also find more allusions to that. I think uh, Isaiah has allusions to that. This is only proverb allusions in the New Testament, not proverb allusions in the rest of the Old Testament, right? There's, I think quite a few of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the later prophets, uh, clearly have, in, have been influenced by Psalms and Proverbs. You ever feel like the Lord is far? In your own walk? In your own prayer life? In your own, um, just your own attitude? All right? I think we all do from time to time or here and there. We have moments that we wonder, wow, why is God so far? And ask yourself, well, wait a minute, who moved? <laughs> God didn't move. God's unchanging, unchangeable, the eternal, absolute standard of righteousness. I'm the one that's gone off into the Thule somewhere. I'm the one that's out there in the woods. I need to get out of the woods. I need to get back where God is. Because he's far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Proverbs 16:33. the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. How do we cast lots? How do we make decisions in the will of God? How do we accept the circumstances He places us under? How do we run with endurance the race that's set before us? And to do so biblically, to do so as fellow workers, to do so as intelligent sons and daughters, and not simply plunge into the despair of blind, uh, absolute determinism. All right, There's a biblical place to identify the sovereignty of God in every lot, every choice, every circumstance, everything that happens, and to do so on a volitional basis, on an intelligent basis, and not just, like I say, not just plunge into despair of, of absolute determinism, okay? where you just become a, a jaded fatalist, where you just say, well, God's going to do what he's going to do, can't change it, who cares, right? And you just kind of become a very jaded, very bitter, very... Um, hopeless okay the bible teaches both it teaches the absolute sovereignty of god as well as the um, accountability we have for the choices we make proverbs i think is going to help us with that the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold but the lord tests hearts <laughs> wow there's a concept comes across in first peter 1 7 so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a concept also that shows up in the, the later prophets as well. The fact that Israel is going to be refined uh, by the, you know, as a, a, with a fire. 
uh, refining pot. That's what our life is about. He's testing our faith. We're going through the refinery. That's what burns away the dross so that the, the metal then is, is purified. The Lord tests the hearts. You're not going to impress him with a show. You're not going to impress him with the external things of, of uh, uh, church attendance or financial donations or earthly things of you know, volunteer hours in a, in a soup kitchen or whatever. It's not about the externals. The Lord tests the heart. You can do all that stuff with the right reasons and be rewarded, but you can also do all that stuff for the wrong reasons. And none of that's rewardable then. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. The Lord tests the heart. Proverbs 18.4, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. I've never, uh, when I taught John 7, I didn't uh, pick up on the fact that there was a, a proverb backdrop in that. He who believes in me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But stop to consider what you are now a source of for those who still thirst. All right? And the uh, benefit you may be to this lost and dying world when uh, you you have the opportunity to speak the truth in love. Proverbs 19.7, he who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. There's an aspect in which our external service actually has a reality towards the Lord himself. Gracious to a poor man lending to the Lord. Some, uh, the New Testament tells us there's, uh, it's not there on the screen, but there's uh, uh, applications when some, we don't even realize we've, uh, we've hosted angels. We've actually had an opportunity for hospitality with angels. Didn't even know it. But God was testing us in that, in that capacity. To the extent you did it to one of these uh, brothers of mine, even the least of them you did to me. How we treat one another is a reflection of how we treat Christ. Because particularly in the church age, how we treat one another in the body of Christ, we are treating Christ. Proverbs 19.18 Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. <laughs> okay? You've got to remember that. Always keep that in mind. Um, it's not fun when the, when the son requires discipline, but you need to. You absolutely need to. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. I think that verse gets misunderstood. How connected those are how failure to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is what results in provoking them to anger. I think that those two expressions are linked far more closely than we ever give it credit for. We think it's kind of a thing in two parts. Well, don't make them mad, but then also uh, ground them in the Word of God. Okay? Proverbs 20. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and He will save you. 1 Thessalonians 5, see that no one repays another with evil for evil. We also have a Romans 12 parallel there too. I remember teaching in a Romans class. But all we seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. See, vengeance is mine, I will repay. That's the, that's the concept. If we're walking with wisdom, then we're walking with the Lord. And, and if we're mistreated, if we're abused, then we leave that with the Lord as well. That's His business. Proverbs twenty twenty seven. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the innermost parts of his being. That's the dynamic that connects us with God himself. It's not our soul. Unbelievers have souls. But the spirit, 
the living human spirit, the spirit that was made alive the moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. See, every, every human being has a soul. A little baby born just yesterday has a soul. A little baby Abigail has a soul. She has a soul. She has a body. It was an ugly gray thing until they got it cleaned up. And then it turned nice and pink. Right? Every baby is gray and slimy. And, but then they get the oxygen and they get cleaned up and then they, they're pink and cute. Um, so this little baby, the little body, the little soul, and a dead human spirit. Because every human being is born in Adam. Every human being needs a Savior. The moment we place our faith in Christ, when we trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life, that human spirit is made alive, quickened in the old King James, made alive, born again. And it's the spirit of man that's the lamp of the Lord, okay? The lamp that God shines through to to illuminate us, searching all the innermost parts of his being. (laughs) You know. The doctors can poke and probe and they can stick scopes in your ear and up your nose and down your throat and different places, all right? They can search, not the innermost being, they can put scopes within the body, but the innermost being, who can scope that? Yeah, and he does it with the Word of God. The Word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. The Word of God pierces to the dividing asunder even of soul and spirit of joints and marrow. That's right. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Again, the citation in Ephesians 6.4, fathers, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Whose responsibility is it to train the next generation? To me, it's self-evident. To me, it's obvious. To me, it's biblical. That is a responsibility that God has vested in parents. Government has a different story these days. Society has a different story these days. It takes a village uh, to quote certain folks, okay? In fact, they're, they're getting to the hostile point now where when push comes to the shove, if parents have one desire and government has another desire, more often than not, government will win for the upraising of children. In divorce courts, it's coming down on the side of government education. When there's one parent that wants to homeschool and one parent that wants to government school, the, the courts are consistently, time and time and time again, it's ruling on behalf of the government education. And uh, when parents have a standard for sexuality and the government school says, no, this is what's going to be taught against the parents' wishes. So it gets taught against the parents' wishes. Anyway, just keep that as a matter of prayer. The scripture commands parents to train up children. Proverbs 22.8, he who sows iniquity will reap vanity and the rod of his fury will perish. Again, consequences. As we purpose in the heart, God evaluates the heart and we will face the consequences thereby. Proverbs 22.9, he who is generous will be blessed for he gives some of his food to the poor. Again, sowing sparingly, we uh, reap sparingly. Sowing bountifully, reaping bountifully. With respect to our gracious attitude towards one another. Proverbs 23, 4, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Now, there's a balance here. We're going to have to teach this balance. Proverbs gives us excellent principles for biblical economics about savings, about hard work. Proverbs condemns the sluggard. Proverbs uh, says, look to the ant, O sluggard. See how industrious these insects are. 
At the same time, we have to have the balance. There is a legitimate place for hard work. There's a legitimate place for savings. It is, it is, it is uh, the mark of wisdom to utilize your resources appropriately. But it cannot become your idol. It cannot become your God. When you weary yourself in the pursuit of mammon, we need to put secular pursuits in the right perspective. Your secular career, your, your bios life is your bios life. Start thinking of it like that. Your Zoe life, that's your eternal life. And your, your Zoe life has to come first. And, you know, to me, it, it just boggles the mind at how uh, the secular scientists absconded with Zoe. They absconded with Zoe and they applied it to the study of animals. Why, do, why is zoology the word for the study of animals? Okay, why? Why not therion or something that has to do with a beast, something that has to do with a brute? Why do they abscond with Zoe? I believe they absconded with Zoe because Satan hates Zoe life. Why did the Freudians abscond with psuche? I mean, if they, they tell you that they're all about treating, they're, they're doctors of the mind, they say. Well, then why not use the word for mind? Why not use noose? Why not use the word for logic, for thinking? They claim that they have great insights into the mind, great insights into the way people think. But they don't use the word for mind or thinking. They took the word for soul. They took the word for psuche, the word for soul. Gee, do you think that was an accident? Why did they take that word? So why has Satan made use of psychology and zoology the way that he has done? Why has he stolen the language? He always steals the language. He takes great delight in stealing the language. Because if he can steal the language, he has sovereignty. Control of the language is control of the thing. It is, a, it is a claim of sovereignty. Don't ever lose sight of that. Okay. Think about it. God gave Adam sovereignty to name the animals. And when you name the animal, you have sovereignty. Luke and Sarah gave Abigail as a name to their daughter last night. All right? Because they have sovereignty. At least so far. Haven't reached a point yet where the government tells us what to name, our, what to name their children. Okay? We can still name our children, we can name our pets, we can name our cars, we can name and whatever. If it's yours, give it a name, all right? But when you let somebody else take the name, when we let the adversary redefine the terms, all right, like gay marriage, why do we let them redefine the terms like that? The moment we accept their language, it's, we submit to their sovereignty. And to me, it's, it's like a married bachelor, how, it's nonsensical. It is self-defeating. It is logically contradictory. You cannot have a married bachelor. And we all know that. It's self-evident because a bachelor is an unmarried man. So a married bachelor is, is absurd. It is a logical absurdity. So is homosexual marriage. Because it'd be like fornication, non-fornication. Remember, fornication is all non-marital sex. 
And so the idea then that you could have marital fornication is like the idea you could have a married bachelor. It's just, it, it, it makes no sense. A prepubescent postmenopausal. I mean, it, it's just, by definition, you can't have both. <laughs> All right, I'm done. I, I, I just thought of a couple more. And if I, if I they're just getting worse. They're, they're the ones I'm thinking of. But you have a term, and then you have the opposite of that term. And then you can't blend them. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And He did it once. He created Jews and Gentiles. And Jews are Jews. And Gentiles is everything that's not a Jew. And then He made a brand new creation. A spiritual creation. That is neither Jew nor Gentile. In other words, it's neither Jew nor not Jew. Only God can create a brand new existence that overcomes the uh, aspects of what we consider in terms of Jew and Gentile. All right. Almost done. Proverbs 23, 32. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Well, the things of what alcohol does to you when you abuse it. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, it's not drinking in moderation, it's drunkenness that becomes the sin. There is a purpose for drinking in moderation. There's a purpose for why God designed wine, and the Scripture tells us that. Proverbs tells us that. But too much of it, abusing what God designed in in quantities and uh, places not uh, appropriate, becomes damaging. Wow, there's a long one. Proverbs 24.12. And look where it shows up. In Matthew 16, in Romans 2, in 2 Timothy 4, in 1 Peter 1, in Revelation 2, in Revelation 20, in Revelation 22. So there's a concept that comes up again and again and again. That's, again, weighing the hearts and minds. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? Judging according to their deeds. We are accountable. There is a judgment day coming. There is a judgment day coming. Absolutely. Is there a question? Yes, sir. Huh? Um, you said um, you were mentioning like, uh, getting drunk off of wine is bad. Now, uh, you said God, God made wine for a Yes. Uh, we're going to see that coming up in the teaching. Basically, it's for enjoyment. It's for um, recreation, designed. Well, we'll see that. It's coming up in, in, uh, in Proverbs. Thank you. It's like the purpose for uh, everything God designed. The, the beauties of what God designs, what man perverts, you know, in terms of the marital relations and what God designed this, and in terms of even just food. Why is there a variety in food? <laughs> why is there a variety of flavors and smells and tastes? And why does God design the things that He designs for our pleasure, for our enjoyment, for us to eat that bacon cheeseburger and go, wow, that tasted very nice. I enjoyed that. It brought me pleasure. Now, if I eat six of them and go home and, yeah, vomit. And then I've abused what God has designed for my pleasure. 
Anyway, we're gonna, that, that, that's all coming up. That's all coming up in, uh, in this proverb study. If you say, see, we did not know this. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? Does he not know it who keeps your soul? Will he not render to man according to his works? Here's the, uh, the other idea, too, is that we can try to justify it in the eyes of men, and that's not going to cut it. <laughs> okay, Just because your fellow sinner has no problem with it doesn't make it right. You can justify yourself in your own eyes. You can justify yourself in the eyes of men. God knows your heart. That which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. Just because you've got public opinion on your side doesn't mean it, it lines up with the absolute standard of the Word of God. Proverbs twenty four twenty one. My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those who are given to change. Cited in 1 Peter, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the King. In other words, we need to know how do we relate to every, every group we encounter. How do we relate to one another in the body of Christ? How do we relate to our fellow Christians in the church? How do we relate to the non-Christians in the world? How do we relate to our government? How do we re- relate to our boss? The Bible tells us every consideration. Proverbs 25, verses 6 and 7, Do not claim honor in the presence of the king. Do not stand in the place of great men. For it is better that it be said to you, come up here, than for you to be placed lower in the presence of the prince whom your eyes have seen. And Jesus used this. He cited this when he was teaching in the, in the Gospels in Luke 14. You know, don't just take the place of honor at the seat. The, the, uh, the host of the party may show up and say, uh, no, no, somebody more important than you is sitting by me, and you're, you're way down there at the end of the table. In fact, you're actually sitting over there at the kitty table with the children. Uh, we have adults at this table. <laughs> okay. The Lord used that in Luke 14. Don't hold a higher opinion of yourself. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. That comes from Proverbs 25, verse 21 and verse 22. The Lord quotes it in Matthew 5. Paul quotes it in Romans 12. Good, uh, again, like I say, Proverbs tells us how to relate to everybody, including our enemies. Proverbs 26, 11, like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Peter quotes it in 2 Peter 2.22. See, I think we're going we're gonna to be blessed by this study because we know a lot of the Proverbs already. We know a lot of the Proverbs from the New Testament. Proverbs 27.1, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. James cites this in James chapter 4. Again, we've got to have a balance on this. Is it wrong to have long-term planning? No, you should have long-term planning. But all your long-term planning has to be subject to the Lord who knows better than we do. All right? Don't take the idea, well, I'm just living day by day, meaning uh, you never have a savings account or you never have a long-term investment or you never think about retirement or you never um, train your children for what to expect in their generation. Daily living does not mean... um, what some people try to make it mean, <laughs> okay? Where it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a sad approach to life. All right. Proverbs 27, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. And uh, that, the illusion of that in 1 John chapter 2. Proverbs 28, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. I've had some people try to dispute 1 John 1, 9 in recent years. Boggles my mind, but they try it. All right. Well, take them to Proverbs. Say, you know what? Confession of sin is nothing new. 
believers confessing their sins wasn't just invented in the church age. Believers have been confessing their sins ever since believers sinned. Okay? Um, Act like uh, you didn't do it. Try to conceal your transgression. You're acting like uh, Cain who murdered his brother and they said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? All right, no. The Lord wants confession. What is it you have done? He's asking for confession. Confession allows him to restore you to fellowship. And then likewise, he who confesses and forsakes them. That's a huge key right there. And I think people ignore that when they try to do a mechanical legalism approach to their sin confession. They just think, well, hey, I committed a sin. I can confess it. And uh, of course, I intend to do it again tomorrow, but I'll confess it today. And as if somehow that's going to restore me to fellowship. No. Confess and forsake. Proverbs twenty eight twenty two: A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that it uh, that want will come upon him. First Timothy six nine: Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, many foolish and harmful desires. What is the proper use of money? What's wrong with being rich? Nothing wrong with being rich. If God has placed you in that expectation, be faithful in that in that circumstance. But to want something that God has not placed you in. Ask yourself, why am I not satisfied with what God has placed me in? Be faithful where you are, and then be faithful where he takes you. A man who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but he who keeps company with harlots wastes his wealth. Prodigal son in Luke 15. Proverbs talks a lot about the harlot. Proverbs talks a lot about uh, men and women and how we relate to one another. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three: a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Lord referenced that in Matthew 23, whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Ask yourself, what, what is it you're doing? Are you promoting yourself? Are you, are you pumping up your own, uh, you're, you're an imitator of Satan at that point. You ever read his five I wills? Do you understand what his approach is? No, humble yourself. A humble spirit will obtain honor. The least will be the greatest. Proverbs 30, who has descended? You say, well, that's, this is Augur here. Remember Augur? Well, who cares? We can't learn anything from Augur. This is Augur. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. There's a lot of doctrine in that proverb. And the Lord cited it in John chapter 3. Proverbs 30 and verse 8, Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Again, it's contentment with where we are. In the state in which we are, whatever our income bracket, whatever our circumstances, if we have food and covering with these, we should be content. And then finally, Proverbs 31, 17, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This is the virtuous woman of the uh, acrostic poetry of Proverbs 31. Luke 12, 35, be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Getting dressed in the spiritual dynamic of, of our walk with the Lord comes out of Proverbs. All right, so that's... Enough of that. That's point six of our introduction. 
New Testament quotations and allusions. Point seven, what are the main themes of Proverbs? Two main themes. And actually, several, but I'm going to highlight them for you in two main points. Different themes of Proverbs. There's some concepts that come up again and again and again and again. And just keep, keep your eye out for them. Be mindful of them. There's a couple of charts, and then I should make some copies of these and make them as handouts. People like handouts, I noticed. The New Testament allusions? All right, we'll make a New Testament handout too. That's a good one to make as well. Okay. Here's a table in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, if you have this. It's a two-volume commentary. Some of you have it already at home. There's an Old Testament volume, a New Testament volume, put out by Dallas Seminary probably in the 70s or 80s, years ago. Um, Positive and negative topics and other subjects in Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of contrasts. Much of the parallelism comes in with a this-but-that kind of a contrast in the different lines of the poetry. And so you will have wisdom contrasted with folly. The wise man is contrasted with the fool. And it's presented in such a way that you read it, you study it, you humble yourself to accept it, and then you tell the Lord, all right, Lord, I want to be the wise man. I don't want to be the fool. And time and time and time and time again, it it lays it out there. And it lays it out there for your application, for my application. In training up our children, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a wise man or do you want to be a fool? Likewise, righteousness is contrasted with the wicked, the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked. There's no middle ground. It's one or the other. Are you serving God or are you serving the world? Life is contrasted with death. Knowledge is contrasted with ignorance. Okay? I don't mind ignorance. We can fix ignorance. Okay? And that's, that's what the Word of God does. <coughs> Work is contrasted with laziness. Go to the ant, O sluggard. We're going to study that. Orderliness, contrast with disorderliness. This comes up in the New Testament as well. The chaos of everything, being tossed to and fro. No, we're supposed to be anchored. We're supposed to have stability. Success, contrasted with failure. Self-control, contrasted with anger. Faithfulness, contrasted with unfaithfulness. Look at all these. Obedience. This is a long list. I'll make a printout of this as well. And you're going to see it becomes very dualistic. It becomes very black and white. And that's a good thing. The world hates it. The world tells you there are no black and white. It's all gray area. It's all nuance. It's all... No. Don't make it more difficult than it is. So that's the first aspect as far as the dominant themes are concerned. Another chart that I'm stealing here in point B. The book of Proverbs time and time again addresses concepts of speaking Words and speaking in Proverbs. And I'll I'll make a printout for this as well. And it uses the fact that words are so powerful. And and no wonder, that's what Proverbs are. (laughs) Sayings, expressions. Sayings that that, uh, they stick with you for years and years. You never forget them. Why? Why do you never forget lefty-loosey, righty-tighty? Why do you never forget that? Okay? Just because it, 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 it's memorable. It's, it's, it sticks with you. It's, it's just a little uh, memnonic device. And whether because of the way that it rhymes, the way that it sounds, the truth that it conveys, or the fact that you learned it once and you've used it a thousand times, you've never forgotten it, because every time you, you, you're, you're screwing in a, 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 a light bulb or you're screwing in a screw or something, every time you do it, it 
you recite the, the, the proverb, lefty-loosey, righty-tighty. And after you've done it a thousand times, you'll never forget it. So words are powerful, and proverbs are powerful. And in the proverbs, you have the contrast with the wrong use of words versus the right use of words. The wrong use of words is destructive, it, uh, as in lying. And look at all the proverbs that address lying. That's quite a few. Versus words that help and encourage. There's quite a few. New Testament tells us the same thing, that our speech is to be seasoned with grace as with salt. How we use our words can damage people for years. Slandering is addressed in Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 30. Gossip is expressed. These are not contrasts, by the way. It's just two columns, so don't try to, don't try to link your A's and your B's and your C's. So uh, wrong use of words includes lying, slandering, gossiping, constant talking. I mean, there comes a point you should just shut up. Okay, you've said enough already. Um, false witness, mocking, harsh talking, boasting, quarreling, deceiving, flattering, ignorant, or foolish words. So there's a long list of the wrong way you can use your tongue and damage other people. And then there's the appropriate use of words all throughout the Proverbs. Words that help and encourage. Words that express wisdom. Words that are few. Words that are uh, fitting, kind, appropriate, pleasant. Words that are true. Words that are carefully chosen. Words that are carefully chosen. Remember, the, artic- the, the blessing of articulate speech is our treasure from the Lord. It's, it's our birthright as being made in the image and likeness of God. Finally then, our last point of introduction and what we're going to spend next week dealing with are specific terms for wisdom and understanding. Specific terms for wisdom and understanding. We're going to do a vocabulary study next week. We'll come back and we're going to look at Proverbs 1, verses 2 through 7. And we're only going to do it on an introductory basis next week. But then once we start the book study, where are we going to be? We're going to be in Proverbs 1, verses 2 through 7. Okay. Um, but as we look at these expressions, we find this is the purpose for why he wrote all these Proverbs and why he collected them in this particular volume. Okay, remember, he wrote thousands of them, 6,000 Proverbs and how many hundreds of songs and all of that. Do you remember the numbers? Uh, it's in 1 Kings 4. 3,000 and 1,005. Thank you. You win the Bible quiz. 3,000 Proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Okay. Well, out of those 3,000 Proverbs, we have just a few hundred here. I forget the exact count, but there's, there's um, 800-something Proverbs in the book, something like that. Um, why did he not put all 3,000 of them in the book? Most of them were secular. Many of them were not part of the revealed Word of God. Okay? Now, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, these are all expressing purpose. Why do you do something? You do something to accomplish something else. All right? Why do you eat lunch? To alleviate your hunger. Okay? Why do you do something? To do this. Why did he write Proverbs? Why do you read Proverbs? Why do you study this book of the Bible? To know wisdom and instruction. 
to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive. See, you can fix ignorance. You can fix naivete. To the youth, to give to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Why does he need to acquire wise counsel? He already has understanding. You just answered your own question. Because he has understanding, he acquires wise counsel. Same thing with wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. All right, And the more you acquire, the more you need to know. The more you understand, you need more. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. In other words, what they're saying and what they're not saying. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so we have terminology in this introduction that comes back hundreds of times throughout this book. Uh, The terms for wisdom that come up 136 times. The terms for instruction that come up 35 times. The term for prudence that comes up 11 times. Knowledge comes up 71 times here in Proverbs. Uh, Discretion comes up eight times in Proverbs. Understanding that comes up 47 times in Proverbs. These are the dominant themes. And so we'll give them to you in vocabulary next week and they'll kind of set the table for what's going to follow for the rest of this class. All right, other questions? Anything else before we dismiss? Okay. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Thank you for this class. Thank you, Father, for all your faithfulness and opening the eyes of our understanding. Father, in all things, Father, humble us to receive your word. This is not the invention of man. This is not a a human tradition. The living and abiding word of God communicates your truth, Father. And I thank you that uh, we have the blessing to to study, to show ourselves approved as we present ourselves before you, workmen needing not to be ashamed. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.